Amen. Hi, everyone. How are you? So um, we're going to be in Philemon, but I figured I'll talk for a second about who we are, who I am. My wife and my mom are here with me. I'm blessed to be here to get the call to, to fill in for John. Um, my name is Charlie Villard. Sorry, I'm trying to get to Philemon so I don't have to dig around later. Um, my name is Charlie Villard. Uh, we have recently planted a church in Corinth. It's actually Charleston, but... You know, there's, you know, it's like uh, Calvary Chapel, Bangor. It's really in Orrington. So same idea. Our church, we planted it really uh, back in like April. Uh, we started meeting out in Corinth at uh, one of the one of the guys that's with us, Corey Dunn's house. We started praying. God, you know, built a group of men that have come together, and then their families started coming together, and then Thursdays all of a sudden turned into, um, you know, kind of a home fellowship, and we started. Um, just praying together, eating together, and you know, doing what the church really was. I mean, in Philemon, we'll talk about you know what um, what the church looked like during that time. It wasn't a building, you know, and and that's been tough for me because what I wanted the least was to have a home fellowship. They're like, hey, go plant a home fellowship and it'll grow. And I was like, no, you know how those home fellowships sometimes don't go well and they just carry on forever. And people are like, just put a bullet in it and end it. I wanted a church and. The Lord since corrected me and, you know, and, and worked with me on like, hey, the church is a group of people. It is not a building. Um, so we started meeting out in, uh, like I said, in Corinth. We had um, we had this couple come to us from a church in Charleston and lost their pastor. And, you know, they talked about, uh, you know, about looking for a pastor. Are you interested in coming in? Um, you know, teaching. And I said, absolutely interested in coming and teaching. I wouldn't want to leave a church without a Bible teacher, but we're a church plant, um, come with a whole group of people and, and God's Holy Spirit. Um, so, you know, we talked through it and we went in for a month and kind of showed what Calvary Chapel, his model is and what it does. They are a congregational church. And so they had to vote and kind of got a little screwy at the end of September and so we got invited back for another month. So we went through the book of Ruth, talking about what the Lord has done, who he is. Um, you know, and uh, five kids got saved, two adults during that moment. Thank you. Uh, during that time. And then we went back in for another month in October and talked through the book of James, how to be a Christian, what that looks like, you know, how to actually walk this Christian life. Um, they voted. And um, though we had a majority of it, I guess we won the popular vote. We did not secure enough for the church to actually hand over to our group. And so last Sunday before this past Sunday, um, we weren't sure what we were going to do. And Monday morning, the Lord gave us a place, uh, put it on the heart of uh, the Charleston town. And they uh, gave us through the end of the year on Sundays and Thursdays, uh, use of the community center and a room upstairs for kids. And uh, there's a school uh right above us. So um, half kids go to the school, end up becoming the church. And you know, was, the Lord did some cool stuff. We had about uh, 50 people or so with kids show up on Sunday. And a good portion of that was the church across the street. So the town office is actually right across the street from the church we've been in. So God said, you're going to be right over here. Um, he's, he's, he's working some cool stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm blessed and honored. And he's gone far above and beyond what I would have ever expected. And, uh, you know, it's that whole like, you know, uh, we want to plant a church, the Lord in your name. And he's like, man, you're not, I'm going to do more than that. 
and you know he's uh, taught me along the way that it is not me that's doing anything it is him doing it all and um, I've tried to take Pastor Chuck's approach to things which is Lord you've created a problem you've made a church you have all kinds of people and now they have no place I don't know what you're gonna do and then he goes all right hang on I'll show you in a minute you know a couple hours later we got a place and then you know got resources so we spent uh, a good portion of last week prepping for our first service um, and then uh, we're going to continue on through the end of the year Sundays and Thursdays and we'll start a prayer meeting soon so man, God's been good this whole thing I was moved by Pastor Chuck and and how God used the Calvary Chapel movement to me this is arrogantly probably this is how the church should be built and it's how the church should work and it's not built on doctrine or um tradition it is built on the holy spirit and i can't say i did any of it which is the greatest thing in the world because i would just be prideful um, you know, it is god who's built it so covet your prayers you know if you'd pray for us just that you know we'd see what the lord's will is out there we believe and can see i think he really wants to do a revival in that Corinth, charleston area all the way over to exeter dexter out to dover um, where cc main highlands is and then, you know, all the way back in through Bangor, you know, we got people coming from all over. So um, I'm thankful and blessed to be here. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, man, God's blown me away far and above to why he'd use someone like me. I have no idea. I'll never understand it. But um, much like Paul and much like David, I really just I want to know the Lord more and what the Lord wants for people and just want to be obedient to that. Um there was a season where I just didn't want this anymore. I didn't desire to have a church or do ministry. I just, I just wanted to find some peace in life and just sit and not worry. And as soon as I started that kind of thinking, the Lord was like, "Yeah, no, we got something else going on." And He's like, "You're gonna, you're gonna go out." So this uh, this past Sunday was the first service. Please pray for us and um, we'll see what the Lord has to do. We're working our way through Matthew right now. Sundays and First Corinthians on Thursdays, and uh, man, I don't know. I'm now kind of at a loss for words, so we'll just dig into the Word because that's why I've come, and that's the most important thing, right? It is the Word that changes us. So we're going to be reading in Philemon. It's real small, but hopefully we'll see what the Lord's got for us in this. So uh, if you join me there, let's just kind of read through, and then we'll go back and do what we do, which is break it down. Uh, starting in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Athia and Archippus, our, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints or toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, which in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. Being such a one as Paul, the aged, or aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. 
who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it is, as it were, by, by, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay not to mention not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Ephras, my fellow prisoner, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Archytas, or, or, uh, Aristica, Aristicus, man, these names, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. All right. I'm terrible with the names, so I'm going to mess them all up. But uh, so Paul's letter is short and really sweet. You know, most people say that, right? Let's keep it short and sweet. And Paul is really sweet in this letter. Most of his letters, as we're digging through 1 Corinthians on Thursdays, are corrections, right? And and uh, especially to the Corinthians. You know, that's, that's probably why, uh, you know, a long while ago, Pastor Ken said, you know, why can't I never get anyone to go out to the Corinth area? And that was, for me at the time, I was in that season of I'm done with this whole planting a church thing. I've had my desire for too long and I'm too tired and getting too old to do that. And, you know, when he said it, I just kind of brushed it off. And then the Lord would speak to me not long after that. And that's where he would call us to. So in Paul's writings to a lot of the people, he's correcting misgivings or understandings about the Lord. This, this letter is kind of different. This letter is specifically to Philemon, this, this head of the church. And uh, the, cha the, the church that he's writing to is the church that we get the book of Colossians out of, Colossi, Colossi or Colossi. So Paul writes this letter to Philemon. He's the leader of the Colossian church. And, you know, it, it, was, a, it was already a correction for me when I started to read this because as we start to dig into this, we realize that, that the Colossi church is not a giant building. It's a home. That's where the church really was, right? It's a, a gathering in the house of, of this beloved brother Philemon. So we dig into this, right? Uh, verse one, going back, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. Paul's in chains in Rome. He doesn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome. He sees himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Now, it's a little different because a lot of the times he would start off with, I'm a bond servant to the Lord, right? And we know we're all taught well, but I'll, I'll recap it, right? We know bond servant is a little different than a regular servant. You have servants that might be in debt to someone, and the only way that they can pay off that debt to this person is they serve them, right? They live in their house or they cook for them or clean for them. 
a bond servant, something different, right? A bond servant is a person who says, look, my servitude to you is, is done, right? I've, I've repaid my debt, but you were so good to me. I don't want to leave the life that you've given me. I want to continue to serve you in the goodness that you offer. And this slave owner, right? Servant, I, slave's not a popular word today, but that's what this was. Um, you know, then they would say, okay, then we will keep you. And, and they would mark them. Funny, we were just having this conversation about earrings. They would mark them so that everyone knew they were a bond servant and, and they lived in servitude and ownership of, of this master. So they would take them out and they would take an awl, which is, looks like a screwdriver only it just comes to a fine point, would set them up next to like a doorpost and they would drive the awl through their ear, which is basically the first of an ear piercing. And then they would put a gold ring through it or a gold earring in it. And that was a sign that this person had chosen to live a life in servitude, but that their owner was so good, they even blessed them with gold. So normally Paul would say, I'm Paul, apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, or bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this one, he says something different. He's in prison, he's in chains in Rome, but he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not see himself as being owned or being imprisoned by Rome or by man, he saw that this was the will of the Lord for him to be there. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't think we should use this as an excuse to go do something dumb and get arrested and go to jail, you know, because like, well, I, I feel like I'm called to, you know, preach the gospel to people in jail, so I should probably get, you know, sent to jail. There's jail ministry that you can use that for. But we do have to recognize that Everything, do we places we find ourselves in life, the Lord wills that. You know, I, we just battled with this. We, you know, a few minutes ago, we're talking about the church plant and all that, right? And and we sort of anticipated we might inherit a building and a church body, you know, and all of this stuff. We wouldn't start from the ground up, and it didn't work that way. And then I went, wow, man, what's going to happen now? I thought this is what the Lord's will was, and I, and and in my head, I start to think. The Lord's caught off guard by the decision of men, which just totally annihilates the fact that the Lord's omniscient, right? He knows all that goes on because he stands outside of time and he looks down and he's like, I know what's going to happen here, 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 and there. Nothing is a surprise to me because then you go like, Lord, now what do we do? I mean, you must be surprised that we didn't get enough votes. And he's like, That's, that was never my will for you to begin with. It was never my plan. My plan was for you to do this. And which is, it's good to know that. And this is what Paul's talking about, right? Trusting in the fact that the Lord wills things and works things. And we can dig back into Genesis and think about Joseph, you know, and, and his words to his brothers, as his brothers recognize decades later that he's been imprisoned and they sold him off. And he says, it's okay. What the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. God knew what he was doing. So Paul doesn't say, oh man, I've been captured by these people and they hate me and complain. He goes straight to the fact that I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I am where I'm supposed to be because the Lord has willed that. And I have to accept that God's will. And right? I think it's important when seeking God's will. Well, I think it's important that we all seek God's will, right? And how do we do that through prayer? You know, I'm, certainly we'll get counsel. And, you know, I, you ever have those you know times where you're, 
you know, you're praying on something and then, you know, somebody's talking to you and they say exactly what the Lord's been saying. And you're like, well, that's probably like some kind of confirmation. And then you talk to somebody else and they say the exact thing and you're like, okay, that's, that's probably more confirmation. The Lord's like, I know you did, didn't listen to me when I told you to do it. So I'll use some other people to confirm for you. You should do that. I think half the time we're just looking for a different answer, hoping that that wasn't God's answer to begin with. So, it's sort of threefold, right? We have to know God's will, and the only way we can know God's will is to seek God's will. Second, we have to accept God's will, because even once he tells us, we still have to accept it in our own hearts, right? In our own minds, we purpose to say, all right, I agree with you, Lord. You're the one that's right. And then go do his will. So, right, know it, accept it, do it. And the fact is, is that Prayer life is not really for us to say, Lord, here's what I need you to do. Please confirm this for me. Prayer life is for us to get on God's page and say, Lord, what is your will? So I can do what you're wanting me to do. A lot of times, man, we go straight to prayer and be like, Lord, I need this and I need that. I need this. It's not really what God's getting at. You know, God's getting at, I need you, to, need you to agree with what my will is for you. And now we look back at Paul, right? And that's what Paul's life was about. Seeking and knowing and doing God's will. So he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus as he puts it. But And he's not mad or upset that he's in chains. And later on we'll see the fact that he thinks he knows he'll, he'll get out of them eventually. So continue on to verse 1. He says, in Timothy our brother, this is the Timothy, his son in the faith, um, you know that he writes two letters to about church leadership. And he says this letter to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Philemon is a leader in, in this in the, in the town or city of, of, of Colossae. Right? He, he has planted a church in his home, which is how that was. Churches didn't, buildings didn't come along for another couple of hundred years, centuries, right? That, that where they start building buildings that would represent a church. We all know when we drive through a town what a church looks like. Well, for the most part. Right, you know what the Catholic Church looks like. If you're, if you're, you know, attention to detail, you can always tell what a Methodist church looks like. You can generally tell what a Baptist church looks like. And then, you know, if you're really looking around, you can tell what a Calvary Chapel church looks like because they don't look like any of those things. They're generally something altogether different. Um, this this man Philemon, he he's a wealthy man, living in the Roman Empire, and he. Uh, has planted a church in his own home, and he's considered a beloved friend by Paul, right? And a fellow laborer. He's a man laboring for the faith, working, doing and seeking God's will and doing it and, and teaching others. And we know based on Acts 2.42 that the purpose of the church is to continue in the apostles' doctrine, right? The teaching of the word, communion, prayer, and fellowship. So if he's working through as a New Testament church, those are the things that they're doing. And he also says to the to my beloved Athia, Athia, his wife, um, history would tell us, and um, Archip, Archip, Archipus, Arch, I don't, man, these names. You you read it. I won't say it again after this one. It, you know, it's funny. It's when you teach and you're like gonna. You're like, my most important thing is to go get the names right. So I like go to YouTube and I'm like, how do you pronounce this? And I listen to it like 50 times, and then the teaching starts and I've forgotten all of what I of what I heard originally. 
And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to blow all of those ones. I'm like, is it Colossi, Colossi, Colossa? Um, Pastor Chuck said Colossi, so I'll go with that. And then he said Onis Onisimus, and I'll go with that. I don't even know if they're right. Um, so there's there's people that say this could be the son of Philemon, could be a, a servant of him in the house working with the church. What does he call him? A fellow soldier, which is a cool picture. Um, it's a cool picture because we are waging war in the church, waging war against not people, not, not groups of people, not the government. Our wars are waged against principalities and powers. Right? That our weapons, which is part of our model for our church, right? Our weapons are um, for our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. They're spiritual weapons for digging through the hearts and the walls that people build up around them so that God might go in there and, and be able to heal people. And he says unto the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's classic greeting, grace and peace. We hear people say that all the time because you can't have peace without grace. And it's in that order all the time, very specifically. Grace, peace comes through the grace of God. And not just, not just God, you know, I don't know, giving you a raise or, you know, blessing you with a house. Um, you know, God's grace is much bigger than those things. It's not measured in worldly standards. And I, I get stuck in that. And I don't know about you, right? But I, I see God's grace as the provisions that he makes for us in the world. And it's, it's not really all about that. Since we're, you know, have plenty of time, I'll just rage on about something else that bugs me. Grace and mercy. I've been thinking about that one a lot. You hear people say today, like, oh, please show me grace. Um, you know, I, I know I hit your car, but please just show me grace. It's like, no, really what you need to ask for is actually mercy. Because mercy is not getting what you deserve. If you hit my car, you deserve to fix it and pay for it. And people are like, no, no, please just show me grace. I'm sorry I made a mistake. Grace is something totally different, right? Grace is giving somebody something that they're undeserving of. Not, not mercy, which is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And if you go to you're speeding down the road, crank it down here through Ellsworth going 85 instead of 55, and I stop, get a speeding ticket, you know, cop says, you got to show up in court, I go to court. And I say, I, you know, I was speeding and the judge is like, oh, well, you know, got to take a stands. You got to pay for that. You know, if it goes a different way and the judge says, you know what, I'm, you made a mistake. You got a clean record. I'm going to let you out of it. That's mercy. If the judge follows up that and says, and by the way, I'm feeling generous today. I'm going to give you a big bag of money. That's grace, right? Mercy, not getting what I deserve. Grace, getting, getting something. I don't deserve. And with God, peace comes through that grace. Right? Mercy was the Lord hanging on the cross, forgiving us of our sins. Grace is us having eternal life as a free gift. We don't deserve those things, and we get them anyway. So Paul, always with the grace and peace, it's something that's been ingrained into me as well, you know, that... Um, and that's kind of how we end, right? Get, you take God's grace and find peace through that. And he says, of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 4, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. 
hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. How much, how much time do you guys spend thanking God for the people that you have in your life? You know, I mean, that's, that's what we should be doing. Can you imagine, you know, what a prayer chain would look like or prayer life would look like? I mean, honestly, we probably could spend 24-7 praying and never do anything else. And while you're doing that, you're blessing God, right? Because it's going to bring to mind things that they might need prayer for. And prayer is what moves the hand of God. And he says this, I thank my God making mention of you always. The guy that's been shipwrecked, beaten to death, stoned, you know, bitten by snake. He goes through all those things back in Corinthians, right? All these things. We haven't tasted nearly that for suffering in our lives. And he finds time to always, I thank, I thank my God for always. It's a crazy word. I don't do anything always. And that's the first rule of arguing and arguing in your marriage, right? Or with anyone, right? You never use the words always or every time. You're supposed to, you know, make definitives like that because it's not always and every time. It seems like it in your head. You're like, you always do that. That's it's not true. It's the opposite here, man. Prayers. Always hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus. Word has made it to Paul, even in prison, right? That he has this. Paul's love for this church, you know, he's, he's helped all of these folks plant these things. Church at Corinth, the Colossi Church, and toward all of the saints. So not just Paul, right? All of the saints. So who is that? All of the saints. Is that all the apostles? It's everyone. Everyone is a believer. Another word get, that gets screwed up today. Saint. Right? People are like, oh, you're a saint means you do nothing wrong. That you live somehow, somehow higher and above everyone else, which is not what that word means. It's set apart, right? Called. We are not sinners saved by grace. We're saints saved by grace. So he's saying, I hear about all the work you do and all the love you show to the saints, to the believers. He says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So he uses a bunch of the words we were just talking about. Always, everything. So what's he saying if we break it down? Every good thing in our lives is not because of what we do, but it's because of how good God is. We, it's, it's a sin to take credit. In my book, it's a sin. It's my sort of opinion, I suppose, of it. But it's a sin to take credit for the good that God does. That's why I can't even, you know, people will say we were a good man. Please don't. No, no, (laughs) no. Everything you see that is good is not me, it's God. Because I I couldn't take credit for that because as soon as I get off on my own for 10 minutes, I blow it. Everything good is in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. Such high compliments from one of the greatest writers in the New Testament. I hope that, that's my prayer, that someone would say that about me one day, right? That you refreshed the saints. Brothers, you built them up. You exhorted them when they were down. Paul said, I purpose to become all things to all men. Mourn with those who mourn, cry with those who cry. Have joy with those who are joyful. 
But think about that, and I know it's not the case because I know I blow someone off here and there, right? Someone that's, you know, I, I'm a director at work, so I'm a manager now. And it's a, it's a weird thing because I just see myself as an equal to people realizing that I have to actually take action and lead others. And in the working world, you know, I can pray, and I always do, pray for the right answer and be led by the Holy Spirit. But there are sometimes that that's not... I'm just doing things based on years of knowledge, well, the things that I've been taught by others. But inevitably, someone's going to come in when I'm right in the middle of something. You know? And my wife noticed it at one point. Right? She's like, sometimes you don't even look up from your computer. Man, yeah, I don't even look up. Like, I'm just, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm still typing while they're telling me something's going on. And they're probably getting from me that I don't really care. I did it today, actually. I can, I can think of this specific example. I was just right in the middle of something. I'm typing out a message and chatting with someone about something that's going on and someone's explaining something and I'm like, mm, yep, yep, yep. Great, cool. I'll look at it in a little bit. I'm just, they feel walked, when they walk away, they probably don't feel refreshed. Probably don't feel like they were heard. I don't have to stop and purpose and turn and look at them and have a conversation. You have to do that in ministry. That's how you hear somebody. To really hear not just what the words that they say are, but their heart, right? Because people say a lot of words. Men don't say a lot of words. Women say more than the average, right? Would generally speaking, you know, that's uh, probably gonna probably gonna get killed now for that one. But it happens, right? It, and women have. My pastor teaches me this, so I'm just gonna blame it on him, right? Women have large feelings that when God separated. <laughs> You know, when God separated Eve and Adam, Ken just taught this recently, right? He said he took every feeling that God has, right? Because we're made in the image of God, right? All of those feelings, and he put them in the woman except for anger. He put anger in the man. So when man feels feelings, it all comes out as one thing. And when a woman does, it's like all garbled together, and you don't know if they're mad or if they're upset or Right. And then what's worse is he's wired man in a way to solve problems. And he's wired woman in a way that she wants to be heard, not have her problem solved. It's the total confusing thing to go like, here's all you need to do. She's like, I don't need to hear all I need to do. What I want you to hear is I acknowledge what you're, what you're saying. I see it happening. It's the, uh, the, Men are waffles, women are spaghetti, you know, principle that men are a waffle. Think about a waffle, right? It's just little boxes everywhere. And that's a man's brain is wired like that. Everything is separated into boxes, right? And it is its own definitive lines. There's the sex box, the work box, the nothing box. And, you know, when you're in one of those, you don't let other things bleed into the box. You're in that box and that's it. When I'm in work mode, I'm in work mode. I'm in the work box. And when I'm in the nothing box, I truly am thinking nothing, actually nothing. Then you have the woman's big giant bowl of spaghetti. It's just noodles everywhere. They cross over. They pass through all kinds of things. And then when you add spaghetti sauce, it's this giant mess and it spills out everywhere. You know, we'll be... We'll be talking in the car or something, right? And we, you know, we drive a lot. We travel back and forth to Corinth from Oregon right now. And 
Um, you know, we like to drive and go see things and we talk a lot. Or maybe she talks a lot and I don't say anything because I'm trying not to solve her problems. But no, we do. We talk all the time. And sometimes it'll be quiet. And when a woman's quiet, when a man's quiet, he's in his nothing box. But when a woman's quiet, it's probably something, probably something going on. Right. And it's like, you know, sometimes it'll just be a random thought. And you're like, wow, how'd you even get to that thought? Well, if you really want me to explain, I will. First, I started thinking about this, which led me to think about that. And then I moved on to this one. And then 50 thoughts later, you're like, how did, how fast did that happen? It was like, like, like that. Wow. Um, well, what were you thinking about? Nothing. No, it's not possible you'd be thinking about nothing. You know, and it, God did something special when he made us the way that he did. Now, certainly fallen man, you know, not men and women, but men and women in general, fallen man messes all that stuff up. But he, he made us in a way that when brought together, the idea is we make one whole being. That, and when we get married, what does it say, right? Let no man would separate. So God's design in that is that we would purpose ourselves to know God, to seek God's will, and to find his purpose. And what God is talking to me about may seem different than what God's talking to my wife about. But he works his will in a way that all those things mix together. So, why did I trail off on that? I don't remember. I was going somewhere with that one, and I'm sure I'll remember in a minute. But, anyhow, um, you know, it. God's will for us is that, God's will for man, right, is that all men would come to know. And the only way for us to come to know is to pour that out onto others. And as we do that, and people grow and change, they look back upon us and they reflect on, oh man, that, that person touched my life. They said this and it made a difference. And we have times where people will come up and they're like, remember when you said whatever and the teaching and that just like totally changed my view. I don't remember that at all, but I trust you. I am, I'm not even sure. My goal in life is to not be forgotten when I die. That's what my whole goal has been. I don't want to be useless. And as a non-believer, that really meant I had to make a name for myself, right? Climb a work ladder, get status, make money, become popular, whatever those things are, right? So that when you're gone, people remember who you are. My, my whole world changed when I became a believer. I start listening to these pastors like Pastor Chuck, right? And, and my pastor, Ken, and Billy Graham, you know, um, Charles Stanley, who was just major influential guy in my life when I first became a believer and seeking the will of God. And I look at them and I go, I want to be like this. Not, not popular, not big and famous. I want whatever I've said to someone to mean something that when I'm gone off this earth, I did something. People talk about me like he's talking about Philemon. You refreshed us. Oh, now I know where I was going with that. It, as we're wired in certain ways, right, and we're, we become these beings, it, we become so complicated. You, you have all this trauma, right, this, this brokenness, this hurt that you've gone through in life that God wants to use and work through. That holds us back. 
struggles in our marriage, struggles with our kids, struggles at work, you know, managing life. And that stuff, you know, the Lord wills us to be doing things. He wills us to be working and doing the things in life. And it just, I don't mean just working world, right? As a mom, you're working. That's, that's a job. Married's a job. You know, probably if your husband, you have the husband, right? He's you probably have to manage him like you do a kid. But those things take away from the ministry in a way, right? They take, they can take away from the ministry if we stay focused on them. And then we can lose what God's purpose is for us. I want, I want us all to be able to, for someone to explain to us like Philemon, Paul explains Philemon, you, you, you refresh the hearts of us. You know, when we're down and lowly and I'm sitting in a prison, the works that you're doing, the things that you're doing, I want it to be a blessing to others. But we have to be aware of how we've been made, you know, how we've been wired up. And it, it sometimes gets in the way of, of who we are. You know, I, I think back to you know, the book of Genesis. You know, after the fall of man, what's God doing? He's walking around in the garden. And what does he say to Adam? Where are you? Like he doesn't already know where he is. The question wasn't actually, where are you? And Adam's like, oh, I was hiding. It's a what is it, rhetorical. He's asking it going, why don't you ask yourself that question? And I go, Lord, where am I? And he'll go, yeah, where are you? Maybe you're, you know, I'll go, Lord, where are you? You're not near to me. He's like, oh, I'm right here. Where are you? I don't know. I'm somewhere else lost in thought, struggling in marriage or life or kid, you know, children, work, school, whatever those things are. Being caught up trying to be like people on social media. You know, looking at them going, well, their life looks awesome. Mine's terrible. The Lord's like, no, focus on me. Focus on what I'm doing. Verse 8, he says, therefore, though, I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. As a manager, as a parent, as a pastor, and as a leader, how do you get people to do things for you well, at work? How do I get people to come to work and do what I need them to do? Do I order them? Do I, do I, do I tell them? May I have the authority to do so? I can tell them. But it's people in their pride, when they're told to do, I mean, like someone tells you what to do, what do you do? You tell a kid to go clean their room, they generally fight you, right? Because they don't want to be told what to do. There are people, I guess this is how I think about it, right? There are people built for leadership and there are people who are not. And there's nothing wrong with that. Being in leadership doesn't make you better than. It makes you different than. I need people at work that come in and do their job and just do their job and go. I also need people at work that come in and do their job and will go above and beyond. I have to recognize that there are differences in those two types of people. And they get rewarded accordingly. I don't reward the, the, the same way. I don't reward the person who works 70 hours the same way I work a person who will do barely 40. You know, we have, remember the, remember the parable where of the workers, right? And uh, 
you know, the, the guy hires a worker in the morning and he says, I'm going to pay you this wage. And then halfway through the day, he realizes he needs more people and he brings some more people in and he says, I'm going to pay you the same wage. And you can see the first people are kind of frustrated because they've been there all day working. And then at the end of the day, he still needs more people and he brings somebody in at the end of the day and he still gives them the same wage as a person who was there all day. Now the people at the beginning are mad. Like, well, I've been here all day working. Why, why, why are they getting the same? Really, as a boss, I want to go, it's not in your business what they get paid. They're doing their job and you need to do yours. But that doesn't really work either, right? <laughs> but it, ultimately, it's like, look, it's what is it for you to know what they get paid? What is it for you to know what I decide to reward them with? If they came in and had to work three times as hard because now they only have an hour to do the work, didn't they work hard even in that time? This is what really stood out to me when I was reading through Philemon. I prayed on where to go. I wanted. To, I was going to read through the book of Ruth. Um, we just did that one, and it's such a cool book. But I think it's more of a, um, in a way, it's more of an evangelistic book. I mean, it's one of the best books in the Bible. It's a, the whole Bible in one story. And then I got thinking, this is a well-taught church. I think what we need to focus on is the reminders of who the Lord calls us to be. There are people, you're, if you're called to lead, you're not going to lead by your skill. You know, taking a management class might help. Sure, right? It teaches you new skills to use. But that's not how the Lord works. None of the disciples were went to college to be, they didn't go to seminary to be biblical scholars. They were men. They were fishermen. They were men the Lord called out and raised them up. And they had to go lead others. And Paul's purpose here in this is saying, I'm Paul the Apostle. I could, by rights, and he's, you know, he's not saying it pridefully and arrogantly. I could ask you this in a command. I could 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 make you do this to, to an extent, right? The commandments, right? They're rules. They're saying, God's saying, don't use my name in vain. Honor your mother and father. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Right? They're do's and don'ts. And he's saying, though, that I might be bold in Christ using what God has given me to do this, but I'm not going to do that. What I would rather do for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. I'd rather explain to you something so that you are compelled to do this, not made to do this. And he says, being such a one as who Paul the aged, like I'm an old man, I'm I'm going to appeal to you as an old man. Help me out here. I've raised you up. You were once a disciple of mine. I'm going to I'm going to do that. He says I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So what's he saying? There was a so Onesimus was a slave. He was a servant. And he ran. He he ran from Philemon as a servant, and that's a that's a crime punishable by death. There were some sixty million slaves in the Roman Empire during this time. Can you imagine if you set the stage that you can run from your debts and your duties to get away from it, and that you'd be fine? I mean, if you do that in the military, what happens? You run from service. We saw that happen right in Vietnam. People were being drafted 
you have to run and leave the country. It's a, it's a, it's a major crime. And it was the same here. Somehow, what happens with Onesimus is he, he runs into Paul. And as Paul is going to go on to explain, he has a use for him, but he knows he owes a debt. He says he was once unprofitable to you. You know, maybe there was something going on. You know, some scholars say that he stole money. You know, may have stolen goods and taken off to try to find a new life, or maybe he was maybe he was lazy as a slave and didn't do what he was supposed to. You know, didn't do the things that he was asked. But he says, Paul says, but now. Paul's classic, right? With Ephesians, Romans, but God, but now meaning something changed, a shift occurred. And Onesimus is a different person. He's been saved. And he says he's profitable to you and to me. He says, I'm sending him back. Likely Philemon doesn't want to see him. Philemon is probably frustrated with him. You know, even a guy who has such high, you know, has had such high regard from Paul, makes mistakes, or is frustrated. I mean, you could be a Christian 50 years and do you still have unforgiveness? Right? Still bitterness that you might have in your heart against someone or some hurt. It may not even be something from 50 years ago, right? If you're walking with the Lord 50 years, it might have been from yesterday. It might have been the person who cut you off. It might have been somebody at work who spoke badly of you. So he says, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart. So Paul says, man, this is, like, this is a son of my faith. You know, he's changed, and I'm sending him back to you. And I'm asking that you receive him because of this, that you don't reject him, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. So this guy's now refreshing Paul because he's visiting him in prison. Right? He's, Paul's in physical chains now. And he says, he's, he's profitable to us both. I'm sending him back to you, but he's, he's good for you. He has a use now. He's not just a servant that had a physical use to fill a debt or a need. He's actually a spiritual slave to the Lord. And he has a use to us. And he says, especially while I'm in chains, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. Man, how respectful is Paul? He has the ability and the authority from the Lord as an apostle to do and say what he needs for ministry. But he says, I, I don't, I want you to, I want to respect you. I love you. For love's sake, I'm doing this. Because without your consent, I don't want to do anything that your good deed might not be my, by my compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. So he says, I'm giving you this hoping that you'll voluntarily accept and do what I'm asking. That's the model God uses for us, isn't it? I mean, he gave us the commandments. We know what they are. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe we don't memorize them all or, you know, hopefully we have. But what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the commandments was not to be saved by them. You can't be. It was to point out our guilt, that we would come to know we can't be saved by them. And then we would ask the next logical question, well, how do I get saved? You know, when you're speaking to someone, you see these guys street witnessing. Everybody familiar with Ray Comfort, um, Kirk Cameron, uh, what's the name of them? Living Waters. I like watching them on YouTube because he goes to like 
colleges and beaches or whatever, right, where people are just doing random things and he starts asking them questions. But he doesn't start with saying, like, do you know how good God is that he sent his son to die? He starts with, do you think you're a good person? I mean, inevitably, the answer is yes, of course. Yeah, of course I do. Do you you ever lied? Well, yeah. I mean, who hasn't lied? Well, okay, fair enough. But do you swear? Yeah, I mean, but who hasn't swore? Yeah, but but he gets that and he goes, I'm not really talking about everybody else. I'm talking about you. Doesn't that bother you? No. I mean, shouldn't it? Do you you know that, do you know the Ten Commandments, right? And he goes through this process where he's explaining things. He says, God's given those commandments. And that if you've broken even one of them in a minute, minute way, you are you are ripe and destined to go to hell. People go like, well, I don't believe that. You know, I believe that the good I've done outweighs the bad, like some some sort of justice scales. And he's like, well, that's not really how this works. You know, it's a it's an all or nothing thing. Sometimes he leaves and he never gives people the actual good news. You know, because maybe he senses that they're never even going to hear it. They're not even broken by their sin. The coolest ones are as the conversation's happening, you see people's eyes start to well up and turn red, or their nose turns red a little bit, you know, or they're real nervous and they're kind of looking around and scratching their head. And you can tell they're uncomfortable, but they know what's being said is true. And then he says, do you know there's a way out of that? Do you know a man came and he gave his life for that, right? You're telling them now that they can be saved from this stuff, right? That's the purpose of these things. I imagine this conversation happened between Onesimus and Paul at some point in some way like that, right? He's like, do you know who the Lord Jesus Christ is? Do you know what he did? He did all this to save you. We're like, well, I don't need to be saved. (laughs) The creator of the universe obviously thinks you do. I mean, he knows something you don't know. We all live in chains. And sometimes they're chosen for us, and sometimes we choose them, whether we'd like to think so or not. And the point of the Lord's coming is to break free of those chains. But the point of the gospel is not to be forced into it. It's to be moved so greatly by a sacrifice that was made for us that we voluntarily say, I'll lay down my life to you. What do you want me to do? Man, I I I wasn't raised in a religious family. My dad grew up Catholic, Uh, got baptized when I was a baby, did the, the traditional things. But he never took me back to church. He, he saw hypocrisy in the church. And my sister came along and they went to get my sister baptized because that's what you're supposed to do. And then the church refused because I, he hadn't brought me back to the church. And I was like, hey, well, whatever. But I can remember at a young age, I remember when we went to Florida. I remember when we were flying. I was excited when we flew for the first time. I was going to see God up above the clouds. And I remember, I can actually remember thinking in my head, if there's a God... What does he want from me? How would he make me? I wasn't even moved by the theory of evolution, the theory, not law, theory of evolution, like in school. It's like, that doesn't even make sense. 
I come from a monkey. God must have some will for me. And I, I remember an event that changed my view of God. And I, I remember hearing someone say, when you pray to God, you should always pray on others' behalf. It was actually my wife that said that, right? Prayer is to pray for others. It's not to get your own will done. And I went into this chapel in a hospital, not even having a clue what I was doing. And I remember talking out loud, no one else in there, like, Lord, I, God, if you're real, please do this. Don't let this situation occur. I know if you do, it will tear my family apart. And the situation occurred, and it tore my family apart. And I went, screw you. I'll do it myself. I don't need you if you even exist. I became agnostic, not atheist, because I knew it was God, clearly. And I spent so many years, so many years doing my own will, hurting people, stepping over people, just trying to acquire for me. And then the devil comes along with a lie. He'd be better off dead. Just commit suicide. And he comes with such a logical half-truth. This person won't be hurt anymore. This person won't be hurt anymore. You'll be better off. And hey, you'll have peace. You know, but it, there's, a, there's a point where you go, yep, I kind of agree, actually. But I, I just didn't, I'm like, if I'm going to do this and commit to this, this whole lifelong thing, I'm going to kill myself. I had it all planned out, man. I knew what was going to happen, what was going to be done. How? You know, I, I probably should know if that's true or not, right? Because what I remember from the Catholic Church is if you commit suicide, you go to hell. I want to die. I don't want to live in pain anymore. I don't want to go to hell, though. And we went to a little church, and the pastor spoke about a man who could change your whole entire life. And he mentioned the name Jesus Christ. And I went, that's the man I have been looking for. That man. He can change my life, and he can make it something different. And he can use it because I don't even want it anymore. And I laid my life down to him. And I got baptized like a few weeks later. I started serving. All I wanted to do was, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do, take this messed up, broken life and just use it because I don't want it anymore. But I didn't do it because he forced me to. I didn't do it because the commandment said I had broken the law. I didn't do it even out of compulsion. I voluntarily gave my life because he sacrificed it for me. We went and saw... Passion of the Christ. And I just wanted to see a cool movie where a dude got beat. And people are like crying in the theater. And I was like, man, this is weird. I don't know why these people are crying. And then they, you know, they kind of get into the movie and I'm starting to tear up a little. And I'm like, man, this is this is brutal. People, somebody did this to somebody? It's messed up. I mean, if he really was only trying to do good, even if I don't believe he's God, that's not a way to treat someone. And I went home and I laid in bed that night and I said, God, I, if you would give your son for me, I don't understand why. I would never do that with a son of my own. I would never give my son for the death to the to die for the life of others. I mean, I would talk my son out of even wanting to be in the military. They're like, man, these people aren't worth that. Don't give your whole life. Go go find something else. And that changed my perspective. I just was like, Lord, take my life. It's yours. I don't even want it anymore. 
God could and rightfully should force my knee to bend down in front of him and say, you're done. You're going to change. But then, then I'd be a robot, right? My free will would be worthless. And he sees that as a, as a gift. He gave us free will that we would voluntarily do what he's asked. That's Paul talking to Philemon. Like, I can command you. I have the authority biblically, right? In your church, I have the authority to do that. As a church plant, Ken could come out and tell me what to do with my church plant. He doesn't, he doesn't want to do that. If, if I was going a, a wrong way, he would meet with me and be like, I'm, I'm urging you not to do that. Come back. Come back and do that. You know, that's what we should do with people. It's how we should raise our kids. It's how we should manage people. It's how we should talk to others. Hoping that they will voluntarily change what they're doing. I've tried that. I've tried that so much with our daughter. I've tried both. I've tried, I'm your dad, and you're going to do this. And I've tried... Please don't do this. Where you're going, I cannot follow. Neither of them worked. But the right way to do it, that God would honor God, is that I appeal to her. What she does with it is up to her. And it's how I want to manage people. That's how I want to be a pastor. It's oh, a weird word to use. I still don't like that. It's just, I'm just me. But I understand that that is the role that God has put me in. And I got to accept that. And that people are going to look to me for that. I don't want to make someone do something. I want them to volunteer, voluntarily do it because they're yielded to God. And I believe God, Paul's heart when he was writing this was that. I don't imagine he just willy-nilly wrote that down. I imagine he was probably weeping. I could do this, but that's not how I want it to be. I love you. I don't want to do this without your consent in verse 14. I wanted to do, I want you to do it, that it's a good deed that you do that you might do voluntarily. 15, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. He's talking about Onesimus, that you might receive him forever. That his running away, as much as he now owes you something because of what he did, and really should be put to death by the Roman government to be made an example of how you don't do things. And he said his purpose in this, that he might be gone for a while, was so that he might come back and you receive him forever. Story of the prodigal son. Right? The father knew what he was doing. He said, I'll give you, I'll give you your inheritance and you can go waste it. And then he went every day and he waited for his son to return. And when his son returned, he wasn't made to return. He voluntarily returned because the alternate option was so bad that he said, Man, <laughs> even my father working for him would be better than sleeping in a pigsty, eating pig food, slop. I'll go back to him. He was compelled, ultimately, right? Like, 
This is this would be a lot better. And then he returns, and what does the father do? Does the first thing he say, told you so? Or, I'll have to think about whether I want to accept you back. The father ran to him, threw, threw a robe over him, give him a ring. I don't care about the material stuff. Stuff doesn't mean anything. Eternal value is what means something. And that's what Paul says here. That you might receive him forever. There's no forever in this world. Nowhere do you find forever. We'll be married forever. My children will love me forever. My job will be forever. You know, it's... We were sitting in the parking lot for a few minutes before we came in. And uh, we're animal people, you know. A couple dogs and a cat. They always use this phrase, they're looking for their forever home. For a dog, it probably is forever because likely when they come with you or a cat, they're going to live the rest of their life with you. You're probably inevitably going to have to make the real hard decision one day for them. It's about the only forever we get here. So when he's talking about this, he, Paul, he knows what he's talking about, right? He's Paul the aged, the wise, the old man. And he said his purpose for running away might have been God's will so that he could be returned to us forever as a brother in Christ. No longer, in 16, as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Well, a slave's not your brother, not your friend. It's your servant. The people that work for me, they're not my slaves. Are they servants? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, servant, slave being the same word. I suppose they are. Well, I'm, I'm expected to run a business and I'm given a budget and finances and I need people to do things for me. I hope that's not how I see everyone. I would like to be a friend to them. Well, there's a real hard lesson in being friends with people that work for you. you know, because they have a job to do and I have a boss that expects me to do my job and expects me to produce results. And that sometimes is a real tough thing. So he says to him, as a reminder to Philemon, he's not your slave anymore. It's different. He's now your brother. And he wants to serve you and serve Paul and, and help us and minister to us because ministry just means slavery, right? The head of ministry as a pastor is not the top of the line. It's literally the head slave. It's, it's kind of the reverse, right? I'm at the bottom, actually. Everything will funnel down to me to witness to others, to um, call people out of the life they're living in, to urge people not to leave their husbands or their wives or their kids, to urge people to leave the bar or to urge people not to drink. I mean, that becomes the job of the minister. And he needs people to help him. He needs brothers. We all need elders, elder men, we need women that can go minister to women, right? There's a purpose for everyone in the church. And that's what he's saying. He's, he's different now. He's no longer a slave. He's more than a slave. He's a slave and a bondservant to Christ and a brother to us. A beloved brother, he says, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord? So he's not only now doing things in the flesh, helping us do things, right? The physical hands and feet of a person in a church or, oh, not or, and he's doing things with an eternal weight and an eternal value. 
He's doing things for heaven. 17, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. This is where the big ask comes in. Right? Paul's question. Forget all those things. Forgive them and forget them. Don't receive him as the guy who left you. Don't receive him as even the guy who got saved. Receive him as you would me. A guy comes in and robs you, breaks into your home, changes the trust of your own home security. And I don't mean just like physical home security, right? The, the fact that when you go home, you feel secure in your home. Right? Somebody comes in and breaks in and everything is rocked. I had a car stolen once. It's still today. It's, it messed me up. But that's something that I've put time and money into is, you know, not really earthly, uh, heavenly valued as it is. It's not, but... Someone takes something and your whole world, you're like, man, I don't trust anybody anymore. Like everywhere I looked was the person who stole my car. Looking at my neighbors and like, well, I was that guy. And then your most beloved connected friend or Christian brother or sister. They go, man, you know who got saved? That guy that robbed you. And he wants to serve in ministry, and he has use to you and to me. I'm going to send him back to you because I don't want to do anything without your blessing. Please accept him into your home as you would accept me. How hard is that? Because that's this situation. He gave him a place to stay. He gave him a job, and he stole from him and left. And now he's saying, please receive him. Forget, forgive all of the things that happened and forget them. That's not the same man. Do you openly, with wide open arms, say, come in, come here. Here's a ring. Here's a cloak like the prodigal father. Just come in and live. Man, I, I, I'd be like, sure, you can come into my house because Paul asked. I want to respect him. Just remember, I have cameras everywhere. I'm going to watch them all the time and make sure you don't even touch something. You eye some kind of prized possession and you're out of here, right? You put all these qualifications on. Paul said none. He didn't say have, have qualifications. It's okay. He said, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Now Paul is sacrificing for this man. He's saying if he owes you anything, count it as I owe you. I will pay you back for those things. Now the man sitting in chains for the gospel of Christ is saying, I'll pay you back. You're going to say no to the guy sitting in a jail cell under Roman Empire where he's likely going to be tortured and martyred and killed. Again, it's a huge ask. He spent all this time in this sweet letter building up to, I'll take it all. I, Paul, he's making a commitment. He's saying, me, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Now, Paul, being in prison for years, he, he had people write for him a lot, right? And his, his face is messed up. His eyes are messed up. His writing, you know, his, his handwriting is probably not great. So he had people over time write for him. You know, he would talk and then they would, you know, transcribe what he's saying and, and then he would send a letter. He stopped even in chains to write this one himself. 
I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Like, you owe me anything. Like, I owe you anything, I'll repay it. You owe me anything, we'll call it. He says, 20, yes, yes, brother. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. I'm going to tell you all these things. I'm going to compliment you. I raise you up in prayer all the time. And now I'm going to ask you something that's going to seem impossible. But I'm going to ask you to do it. I want to, you can put it on my tab. But I'm going to ask you to do it for anyone like you would me. And then he says, do it so that you refresh my own heart on the Lord. Showing your willingness and obedience to the Lord that I'd be changed by it. 21, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Man, the stake in the heart right there. So not only am I asking this, and I'm saying, I have confidence in your obedience to the Lord, you're going to do this. I know you will. That's why I'm writing you in love. You won't just do this, you'll do even more. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. I trust that you're going to still be praying for me and that you have been. And that I'm going to come stay with you when I'm out of these chains. The Lord's going to ask things of you. And he's going to, he's not going to make you. He's going to ask you to voluntarily do them. Accept this person into your home as you would me if I was standing at the door knocking. <laughs> Even though it might be a person who stole from you. It might be a person who Broke your heart. A person who molested you. A person who... I don't know. I'll just go worse from there, right? God will ask us to do things. And he won't ask it. He, Paul's not asking for a, him to accept a total unbeliever, right? What he's saying is, is he's a believer now. He's a brother. He's completely changed. And you need to forgive and set aside all those other things because the man you'll see is not the man that left. That's hard because that's what we remember in our human way. We remember what happened. We remember who it was. But we're to be forgiven as God's forgiven us. Right? We're forgiving someone the way that he did. God, Jesus is the Lord. Today. Try to purpose what our pastor says, right? Not just Jesus, but the Lord Jesus, his title. The Lord Jesus gave his life for you and said, I'll take all of your sin that you have committed, that you are committing, and that you will commit. And I'll pour it, I'll take it all onto me on the cross and I will take ownership for everything. So when you go stand before the Lord, you're covered in me. This picture of Christ right here. He says to do this. And he's like, I trust through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Do you have something that the Lord's calling you to do that you've been ignoring? Have he's subtly been saying it all along? He's been saying to you, I need you to forgive this person. I need you to go reconcile with them. 
because their weight and their value in, in heaven, eternal values, they're far bigger than this world. They're far bigger than what's here. Those are just, they're just things. I want you to model my behavior to others. Refresh the people that have poured into you by the actions that you do. You know, what's cool. A cool thing is, is that, you know, people that have raised us up and discipled us. When you tell them what you're doing in ministry, the things that you've done, they're like, man, you're such a blessing to me. It fills my heart with joy to see you doing this. Because they know all the time and the effort, you know, and the love that they put into the relationship with you, it worked. It paid off. They see the Lord working in your life. And it's all worth it. All of it. <laughs> and I say that because it's biblical truth, not because I actually totally believe that. Because I could rattle off five things right off the top of my head and I'd be like, man, that was not worth that. It was not worth the pain. It was not worth the suffering. It was not worth the heartache. But that's a lie. I just can't see it's worth yet. Right? Uh, it's Corinthians, right? It's a momentary light affliction. It doesn't feel like it's momentary. It doesn't feel light. And it's definitely an affliction. But it says, but it's building to something. It's building to an eternal glory. That if our picture of things is in this world, it's going to fail. But if the reason we do things is for heaven, for God's sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, then it will all be worth it. And that's the perspective that Philemon now has to have after receiving this letter. Because what do you imagine is, I mean, I imagine his first reaction is going to be like, what? Excuse me? No. That dude ain't stepping one foot in my house. And he ends with a bunch of names that I can't pronounce. It's always cool when Paul does this, right? Because he mentions people. But he mentions them by name. You know, it's, it's such a cool thing. Uh, he says, the E name, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark. The A name, Demas. Luke, the apostle. The writer that would go on and, you know, and he'd write the, the gospel of Luke. He'd write the book of Acts. The doctor. My fellow laborers, he says, the grace of our Lord Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. Amen. Man. Honestly, I was, when I read through that, I was uh, initially, and, you know, studied and kind of read, and like, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? This thing, this letter, small letter means more to me now after just reading through it again than it did when I first read through it. Because God's going to call at, a, at the most inopportune time and ask me to forgive somebody or to do something or to move past something. But the thing that I'm going to look for in doing that is not... The Lord's like, you're not going to qualify what you're going to do at all, actually. <laughs> what would be the difference maker is if I saw somebody get saved, right? or word of someone of high value as a Christian walking with the Lord said, this person's not the same anymore. It's witnessing. It's testimony of someone that this person has changed. I mean, anyone can come to the door and say, I come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, 
usually two young men will show up with white shirts on and a little tie and say they come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I'm like, oh, do you now? But I, I don't because they don't come out to Orrington. I'd love that, though. I mean, you have to to go through Orrington. You have to pass by Calvary Chapel, so usually there's like this defensive, uh, invisible barrier. They just bounce off and then ride their bikes back the other way. It's, it's terrible. I shouldn't make fun of them. They're lost. They don't know the truth. Um, you know, but when God calls for that, go back to Philemon. Read it. You know, pour over it. Weep on it. It's okay. Man, Jesus wept. It's okay for us too. The things that he calls for is going to be hard and it's going to be a sacrifice and it's going to be worth it. But we've just got to say yes. So it's seek and know the Lord's will, accept the Lord's will, and do the Lord's will. And that's ultimately what Paul's saying in this. He's saying do it by volunteer, voluntarily doing it because you know it's working something, because you know it's worth it. That's it, man. It's less than an hour and a half, but I went long. I'm sorry. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you actually love us enough and care for us enough that you would call us to forgive others, to work through situations that we just rather not, that you would um, be working in, in other people's lives and working and weaving together this big old mess of a world that we'd be changed and you'd be glorified. That we would give you praise saying, man, I, I never want to talk to that person. And then praise the Lord, they got saved and a whole new world opened up. Because someone truly, truly being saved by you, being changed by you, their heart would be broken over the things that they did. And repentance would occur. And then they would live a life opposite of what they lived before. And that evidence would be seen. I wouldn't even need to worry about working through a situation. I could forgive them and move on because they are truly not the same person. When you become saved, Lord, the reminder that they actually just die. They die. <laughs> They're reborn and resurrected into something completely different. So I really couldn't rightfully hold them to a whole new being, um, stuff that they've done in their past. That we've become a new creation and all things are made new. I pray, Lord, that you would use this in our, in our lives, that you would just bless everyone here, that it would work in their lives in such a way that um, they would see the word come to life and they would see it in action in others. Lord, you'd bless this church and um, the services that will happen this weekend. You'd watch over them. You'd be a part of them. Lord, that you would bring about in us a revival in our own hearts that would then pour out into the world and produce a re revival out there. Like one more time, Lord. And not because I ask, because I've done nothing worthy of that, but because you would get the glory and you would get the praise in a revival. And people would come to know who you are. There are so many people out there hurting, Lord, and uh, they need you and your truth. And uh, help us to be the love and the truth that you've called us to be, that we might, um, might persuade people. They might voluntarily give their lives to you because they've seen the good works you've done in our lives. And they've seen the sacrifices that you've called us to make, and that we've done them. Thank you so much for everything. In the time we've had here, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.